Today in the podcast, we've got Dr. Bahar Amini. Welcome, Bahar. Hi, well, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Stoked. Before we get started, I just want to acknowledge I'm producing this podcast on the stolen lands of the Kalam and Klehus, Homoko, and Comox First Nations. Uh, grateful to be here. Um, so, Bahar, uh, tell me about yourself. Oof, let me tell you about myself. Okay, so I am a counseling psychologist. Um, got my PhD from the University of Kansas, and I'm a licensed psychologist currently in the state of California, offering services to individuals, couples, and families, mostly via telehealth, but occasionally in person as well. Um, I really enjoy what I do therapeutically. I love my clinical work, and I also um, engage in leadership through a couple organizations and APA. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that my I'm heaviest involvement is in the American Arab, Middle Eastern, North African Psychological Association, also known as Amina Sai, which I'm sure we'll be talking more about today. Um, but I'm also the member at large for Division 45 um, and for the Arab Mina Slate. And so that's part of the American Psychological Association. Okay, cool. So let's go back earlier. So how how did you uh, how did you end up in psychology? Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, well, as an Iranian American, I'm first generation born Iranian American, meaning my you know family immigrated to the states. Mm. Um, you know, mental health is not you know talked about as often um, as frequently, and it's not um, part of the culture really. You know, you kind of depend on your family and and your support systems. And um, my parents had gone through a divorce when I was young. And um, what you learn when there's custody um, going on is that children are often, you know, required to go to mandated therapy. Mm. And I had gone, I had been sent to several, several different therapists until I found one that I liked. Um, Actually, I went to seven specifically. And wow. that motivated me because going to seven counselors and feeling like nobody understood my culture, nobody understood the challenges um, of being Iranian and having your parents split up and how that rocks your world. Mm. I I was like, I'm going to be the most culturally aware divorce therapist there's ever mm. going to be. Mm. And so that's how I actually then got into the master's program after I studied psychology in undergrad. I kind of had new from like my teenage years on. Wow. I want to be a psychologist. So I did, um, after I got my undergrad in psychology, I went for my master's in Cal State San Bernardino um, for an MS in clinical counseling psychology, where I did my thesis on adult children of divorce, Iranian mm-hmm. adult. Wow. Divorce. This is a whole story because then through that, through that experience of doing research, and I had an Iranian um, mentor advisor, Dr. Mani Jabedi. Um, I learned how limited the literature on Iranians was, was out there in the psychology field. Mm. But when I was trying to do my lit review, it was so difficult to find any article, any research I could back up, um, which then motivated me to get more involved in research. And then I went for my PhD in counseling psychology. And from there on, it was kind of, I just took off. I did 
research mainly with um, you know, Iranian American folks in the US, or I did systemic reviews, um, and then got more involved in Arab Mina psychology and advocacy through that. So that's mm-hmm. that kind of took me all the way through learning more and more about how how um limited the knowledge, the training on Arab Mina folks there were. And again, Arab Mina standing for Middle Eastern North African. Um, and that's where I am, my specialty, both clinically and in research or working with that population in the U.S. Whoa. Mm-hmm. What's, um, so you had an Iranian advisor. Is, is that, is that uh, rare? Like, is that, was that, was that like a stroke of luck? It, it's very, very rare. I mean, mm. it was so lucky. I had a, I had looked at like 11 different master's programs in the state of California because I wanted to stay close to mm. family. And it was the only one that had an Iranian professor who mm. could be an advisor, which immediately made it my number one school. Mm-hmm. And then it was actually even more difficult when I was applying for PhD doctoral programs because there are very, very, very few like Really, I, I mean, personally, I only know a handful of advisors, of professors that are taking students in these, in, in a specifically like counseling programs um, who do research on MENA communities. Mm-hmm. And so that was really tough, actually, as a student to be applying for programs and find a, find a good fit. Um, it's, it's not easy. It's really not mm-hmm. easy to, to get there um, for Arab MENA. Um, early career professionals, just because, you know, to, you want to do a lot of research, right. To get me be competitive, um, for these positions at these R1 institutions and to do research on Arab MENA folks and have them be published. It's also really challenging. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for students and for professionals, it's just, there's definitely a lot of obstacles there. And, and why was it important to have an Iranian advisor? Just because that's what you wanted to research or. Right. Well, and especially as a student, you don't really know, right? I mean, you have no idea kind of what is ahead of you, but you're Mm. thinking this person will at least understand why I want to maybe do research or focus on this community. This person likely has tried Mm. doing it um, and maybe knows more and can guide me in doing this. And Mm. I don't feel like I have to necessarily mask anything. Mm. You know, you'll, you'll feel more understood, um, less, I guess, judged, um, stigmatized or misperceived. And I think even growing up, because I was so young, right, I was just out of undergrad, you think, oh, the how we learn in our communities, like we help each other, right? And so you kind of you gravitate towards the people who identify, who share identities with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was just, for me, was like my dream. And she has supported me throughout. I stay connected with her through my whole doctoral program. And she served on my dissertation committee as well as my subject matter expert. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's super important. I think, especially when you identify as Mina um, to have people like role models that can guide you because it's a it's not an easy journey and besides her did you did you have any other like mina colleagues or classmates or <laughs> professors of any kind in, in your whole sort of process bachelors all the way up 
my master's cohort, there was 11 of us and I was the only Middle Eastern, but we were all mm. racial or ethnic minorities. Mm. Um, but I was the only Middle Eastern, which I was like, okay, that's fine. You know, we're, it was kind of like one of each. Um, and then I got to Kansas and I was the, I was one of five mm. in a cohort, very small cohort. And I was the only minority mm, and period. Wow. only Middle Eastern that was in across cohorts. Mm. Um, so no, no one um, at KU was, but that is when my second year I found Amina Sai. And my second year was what, 2018? Amina Sai had just been established a year or so mm. prior. And I learned about them at APA, at the APA conference. And uh, I mean, I was starstruck when I went to their first meeting, super small. I mean, mm. Very few, maybe like 15 or 20 of them. And I was like, the fact mm. that there was 15 or 20 was like a dream. I thought I was, yeah. you know, like world that I, I was, you had to like wake me up. Um, after I joined Amina side, that's when my network started to build. That's when I started to meet other students that were in different programs, also isolated, um, alone, you know, maybe didn't have an advisor. And we met these prof uh, professors and professionals. Um, as well, who, you know, you try to connect with them and my network slowly from there started to grow. And they're, I would say, predominantly my network now mm -hmm. is mostly uh, Arab Mina folks. Before finding Amina, did you, uh, did you kind of think you were the only one? Oh, my goodness. I, I, I didn't know. I didn't think I was the only one. Mm. I figured there would be more out there. Mm. I really did but I didn't know where they were. And then as I started to get to know people, I think the reality hit of like really how few of us there are. Mm. There's, especially in like the PhD programs across the States, there's very, very few of us. I think they're growing now. And I think only, I know this because Amina Sai is growing. And so, you know, as membership grows, you start to find each other. Mm. But yeah, I didn't think there was many at all when I first started. I only knew like 20 other students. And this is across, again, different types of programs, not, not just counseling, clinical, developmental, research, social psych. Mm -hmm. um, now, now, I mean, Asai has over half of its membership are student members. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely, but I mean, that's like what, like maybe like 150 of us. Mm, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a sign of things to come, though. I noticed that what we were talking before we hit record about SIP, the Society of Indian Psychologists, they had their last conference. There were like 450 people there, and half of them were students. Yeah. Um, and uh, and they were just, and, and and they were all surprised to see that many students. And I've seen that with a few other these sort of, you know, affinity group in psychology and other fields that there's this seems to be the time for these these fields to grow there's there's, there's uh, so many students now that are like i, I, I can't even, can I tell you how many times i've heard the phrase first generations and started doing this podcast yeah well yeah i mean i'm definitely the only psychologist in my entire family yeah um, you know nobody went to psychology but it is, it is remarkable the power of seeing people who look like you and identify as you succeed mm -hmm. and um, 
have that mentorship and encouragement. And I yeah. think one of the, so my first role with the Mina Sai when I was a student was to be on the student committee. And then soon in 2019, I was elected to be the 2020 student member at large on the board, on the executive board. Mm. And um, that's when I really like took off in leadership. Like I was like, mm. this is my, my uh, bread and butter here. And I'm going to grow cool. a committee of students and make student and create student resources. And I launched a mentorship program, mm. which has grown now every year to, I think we're pairing about like, I think the last I heard was 28 or close to 30 awesome. mentorship pairs, which, I mean, we started with like pairing under 10. Everyone wants to have control of their life, to make their own choices, decisions, and set goals that are meaningful and important to them. And students who are neurodivergent are no exception. Self-determined research indicates a host of positive quality of life outcomes for people who are neurodivergent, including better employment and independent living outcomes. Whether your students want to attend college or obtain employment after high school, they will need to acquire the skills necessary to pursue career life directions that are personally meaningful and are of their own volition. The self-determination course offered by CBI is an ideal tool for teachers to help students develop the essential competencies for self-determined behavior. The course consists of five modules with comprehensive lesson plans that are, include embedded resources, easily adapted for your diverse learners. Using the built-in self-reflection and assessment exercises, teachers can assess students' growth towards their self-determination and self-advocacy behaviors. If you're interested in learning more, check out the CBI Consultants webpage at www.cbiconsultants.com. If you're planning on collecting continuing education credits for this episode, you'll need to enter the three secret words at www.cbiconsultants.com forward slash shop. The first secret word is middle. You know, um, wow. huge progress, but that hmm. mentor and the feedback we, we got from that was, you know, how grateful students and professionals were because even professionals want to also give back to their communities in different ways and hmm. being able to mentor students to also grow our, you know, Arabina community within the field is really um, meaningful, I would hmm. say, you know, hmm. it gives a lot of purpose and meaning and and value. So that mentorship really, I think, encourages a lot of the students to continue to get join the field and then get through and graduate. You know, so yeah. It, it's it's really important. I think it's way more important. I think people recognize when you when you're uh mostly invisible to have people who understand you and see you and care about you in the field, especially when there's not many of us. It, it really makes a world of a difference. Mm. Just a slightly tangent here, because you've been talking about sort of, about, you know, not being a lot of, a lot of folks in the field. Is, is, is there an Iranian like psychology community, like in Iran? Mm. There is. Psychology is actually really big in Iran. Iran mm. and also pushes out a lot of research mm. um, in the field, but because I've never lived there or done, mm. you know, gone to school there, I'm not quite sure of the whole process. 
Mm. But um, I know it's I know it's rigorous. I know it's hard because they're trying to also publish to you know academic journals and, and journals in the U.S. And mm. uh, I'm a reviewer for several journals, and I often get the oh wow studies, the papers that are being done in Iran. And we tell you like they're they're doing good work. I mean they're mm. trying hard and. And they, you can see that they really um, do their best. And I'm really impressed with a lot of the work that they do. So I, I know that there is a big group, you know, of researchers and um, professors and students who are interested in the field. I'm not too familiar, though, with like being involved or in network with them. I, had, I just have a couple of contacts who, you know, sometimes they come to me when they can't get a specific article because mm. they don't have access to those journals. Right. Like they're also very limited. And what they have access to and what they can go off of. So um, I do my best to see if I can help that. But there's there's pockets there. There's also pockets here. You know, there's like the Iranian Psychological Association. Um, oh, but okay. I I personally, interestingly, don't in, not part of it. Hmm. Um, I don't think they're as active. I remember looking at a couple of websites. They're not as active and. Um, as a student, I think like when you, when you even like pare down even smaller to just Iranian mm-hmm. folks, I mean, I don't know how many of us there are, right? Mm-hmm. Like probably mm-hmm. it's as many. So we had to broaden to the Arab Mina group to even feel like there was a, a solid community that was engaged and um, could support one another. So. So I've never heard of Arab Mina until I saw this group. Is is this a is this a group that was a thing, sort of a, a an identity, sort of before the association? Like, do people just identify as Mina? Or so Arab? I people I think people always do. You know, most well, we're talking about psychologists. We're talking about communities. So. Amina yeah. Sai was so. There's the ethnic minority psychological associations. Um, and there's five, including us, yeah. but we were, we're the baby of mm-hmm. all, these, of all the groups. Um, so we're, we're recognized by APA, mm. but we're not affiliated or part of APA. And what happened was there was, you know, a lot of, uh, the research on like minority communities or, um, racial minorities don't count Arab MENA folks because on the U S census, they group all the Middle Eastern folks under the white category. What? Yeah, and I know. And, and I know Canada's different. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I learned this through, um, you know, reading a couple of books about, and someone who was uh, US-based moved to Canada and learned that, like, you guys actually have a Middle Eastern category mm-hmm. in the census, but we do not. Um, it, we are lumped into the white category. And so to be able to get funding for research, to be able to get funding for any sort of programming, or initiatives makes it so much more difficult. Scholarships, I I had been denied. I was denied um, a minority like fellowship, like scholarship, because I told you know I I applied and I said I was Middle Eastern. They said that's not a minority group. Um, that's and so therefore we cannot count your application. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. So. I mean, there was a lot of there was a lot of reasons that Amina Sai needed to um, be established. Mm-hmm. I mean, founders are just remarkable and grateful for them. And more can be found on the website too about like how Amina Sai started in the history. Yeah. But 
we needed, they needed a home. They were like, we need a space to, for all the Arab Mina psychologists to come together and to support them and support their work in doing psychology research and practice with Arab Mina communities. Mm. And so really since it started, it's been, um, the main mission has been to build awareness of the group, you know, kind of let people know we exist and to have a platform to advocate for the psychologists, the students and the communities, Arabina communities, um, and just really have a professional home. Mm. We need a professional home. We didn't fit anywhere else. We don't fit in the white category. We don't mm-hmm. fit in other, you know, racial minority categories. So this, this visibility, this space was really, really important because we are very, largely invisible in any other space mm-hmm. like literally because they don't count you is mm-hmm. is there are, are, is there advocacy to you know get in the census and that sort of thing oh yeah yeah oh my gosh and our current president who's rotating off um dr Jermaine awad mm-hmm. uh she is paramount in her work on the census i mean and then the students try to um, help where they can to kind of push a lot of these initiatives forward as well. I mean, a lot of mm. her work and continued work is to get us counted um, on the census. And so you can look her up uh, and she's got multiple papers and speaking engagements and um, talking about this. But we, the student group, when I was again leading this in 2020, in 2021, um, did a We Are We Are Mina campaign mm. for um basically trying to push and we kept it small because, you know, we know like it's a really big issue. So we kept it small to the psychology um, departments and did a whole webinar and handout that encouraged people to add Mina on their research demographic forms, because most people go off of the census, right? Like they mm-hmm. categorize things based the, the way the census does. Yeah. Yeah. So we created a handout and webinar on why it's important and push that trying to encourage all these advisors who aren't Mina, who don't mm-hmm. know to count or to add and encourage their students to add a Mina box to the research so that you research can be more accurate. Mm-hmm. I mean, what you have is a bunch of people who don't have a white experience. And this is, quoted from, you know, Dr. Awad, who do not have a white experience who are being lumped into this white category. And if you don't have an other, you know, option or people might not even mark it, then data, if you really think about it, is flawed. Mm-hmm. Big time. And that's kind of scary if you really think about that. It looks like, again, she said, like, it looks like disparity is closing and the gap is closing, but it's not. You just have people who don't have a white experience in the white category. I'm curious. I mean, it sounds like you guys are doing a lot. Is mm-hmm. and I also was looking at some of the you know the advocacy page is awesome. Like all the different mm-hmm. things you're doing. And I was looking They're at the yeah, yeah, I was looking at some of the statements that have come out recently, which I think we'll kind of get into a little bit. I'm curious. Has I don't I don't know I don't I mean I don't know how it works with APA and all these different divisions and. And uh, as far as sort of reciprocal support, like does does the APA themselves sort of have these same statements? You know what I mean. Number one and number two, do they are, are they helping advocate for getting you in the census and that sort of thing, or is this all just left to you folk to do by yourself? 
You know, I I think that there are people in APA who have great intentions and, you know, on an individual basis may do advocacy. Mm. Um, I think that APA as a whole is very behind and um, less, I don't want to say interested because I don't think that's necessarily, I don't want to say that. Right. I don't know how interested they are. Sure, sure. But um, I will say that on the outside, like if I didn't know certain people within APA, I would think that they don't care at all, that they, right. that they have um, other priorities and other groups are more important than mm. we are because you, you've seen other statements go out and you yeah. constantly wonder well, what so I was wondering. Yeah. Um, as a student, I was involved in division 17, which is the counseling psychology division. Okay. It's the vision within APA. Yeah. And um remember feeling very minimized, dismissed, um, just, there was so few people who cared enough to talk about MENA issues, but Mm. any other issues, there would be emails like of support and statements or Mm -hmm. initiatives. And, um, and that's where I mean, I think is so valuable, especially right now, given everything that's happening in Palestine for, students and professionals to feel like heard, cared for, safe. Um, because AP, yeah, they they don't. And any sort of statement that has come out, but after a lot of push and a lot of encouragement, um, you know, really doesn't hit the mark, I mm. think, a lot of the time. Um, there's been moments where I think there's been some disappointment in that when um Experts in Arab MENA psychology are uh, sought for their feedback and feedback isn't incorporated can be really tough. Mm. Um, You know, just kind of figuring that out. But we're also recognizing that it's important to to still have a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a rep from Amina Sai, uh, who is our APA council rep. Okay. um, you know, she she goes to the meetings and, and speaks up. Um, Dr. Sousan Ahmed, she's also phenomenal. Um, we try to have a seat at the table so that we can continue to educate. We can continue to advocate for our, you know, those of us in the field and our communities. And um, at least if we're not there, then no one's talking about mm-hmm. us, you know. Yeah. Did, did APA put anything out? related to Palestine, what's been happening right now? They have, they have. Um, and it's largely, you know, um, it has been taking on this, because you know, Dr. Tama Bryant, I mean, yeah. also phenomenal. I look up to her a lot and yeah. really admire her research and um, and the work that she's done. She's done a lot of the great things. Um, so the statements that they've put out have been very balanced, very neutral. Gotcha. Um, more so but you know we recognize some of the things that we we know that people are afraid to say because of mm. their you know, the backlash and the silencing and the, yeah. i mean even dr tam bryant got harassed on twitter um you know for for a tweet that she put out that had nothing to do with what's going on in palestine mm. and gaza and the genocide i mean but got um just kind of i'm saying torn apart Mm. And there was a petition that went out asking her to step down. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pushback 
when you advocate for you know Palestinian human rights. Yeah. And, um, we we are very much aware of that, and we see that because we experience it ourselves, especially if we advocate. Um, so we we know it's it's not easy in these systems to do so, and uh, we're witnessing it. Has that been the case? For a long time, or, or is that just sort of since October? No, it's been the case for a long time. In 2021, I was, um, w- along with Division 17, again, this was like the last year I was a student. Um, we were doing a webinar on how to how to talk about Palestine in 2021. Mm, okay. And that got, you know, significant pushback on listservs as well. And this is um, from like people in APA. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, not just leadership. I'm talking about like psychologists. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. Part of yeah. Divisions. yeah, yeah. It, there was a lot of uh, a lot of um, discomfort with us being able to have just an educational webinar on, you know, understanding kind of what's been happening in, in Palestine and how mm. to how to advocate and how to talk about it because so many students and professionals we kept hearing like well, we don't know much about it. We don't know. Yeah. You know what to say we don't know the history and we said okay well maybe we'll we'll do what people do we educate right and um that got a lot of pushback and that's just again my experience alone mm-hmm. i i guarantee that there is numerous stories of in various settings mm-hmm. that the professionals um that i i know and, and others out there who've tried advocating and, and been shut down or um yeah. Harassed. Mm-hmm. Is there a Palestinian psychological community? Like, are there Palestinian psychologists and whatnot? There are. There, yeah. many of them are in Amina Sai. There are mm. other like networks, and mm. and even right now, I think there's a lot more um, connections being made. A lot of mm. like WhatsApp groups. Nothing super super formal. Um, there, there are a few organizations, and some of them are listed on Amina Sai's resource page. Yeah. Um, where people go because they they also put out a lot of great resources too. So, um, but yeah, not not a lot, but enough Palestinian psychologists. And mm. um, I mean, there's two of them on three of them on the board. Our next um oh, wow. elect, so upcoming president is Palestinian oh, psychologist. Cool. Mm-hmm. And are there are there are, are there like I don't know I don't I know nothing about Palestine. Um, um, beyond like nothing, actually, really. <laughs> um, and so, um, beyond you know, beyond all the stuff we've been hearing over the last couple of months, and it's so hard to know, you know, right. what's what, what I feel like I still don't know anything about Palestine, <laughs> put it that way. Right. Um, um are, are there are there universities in Palestine? Or were there you know, universities in Palestine? There are. There are. Yeah. And I know actually because our pres- our upcoming president too, um yeah. Dr. Lemis Shawahin, she um actually teaches, she did was teaching in uh in Palestine, you know, mm. the summer and stuff. I think those are great, great questions to ask the Palestinian psychologists because right. they gotcha. have way more information about, you know, and just history and right. life, and, you know, their own lineage um in palestine well, may, may, maybe after this interview you can connect me with a absolutely folks and, oh absolutely and, and i absolutely. can talk to them you would love um, to have a space and a platform to speak but yeah yeah you know there's a it, it's just really tough because you know as 
Arab MENA folks in general and psychologists, I mean, this even came up in my my dissertation. Mm. Um, when you hurt, it was a, as a sub theme, like you hurt one, you hurt all. Right. And because of Lama growing up in the U.S. as a second generation Iranian Americans, first generation born, you know, especially in our our generation, having gone through September 11th and Islamophobia, mm. right? So being being part of the diaspora, you know, abroad and seeing things happen in your home country and the people you love and people you identify with being mm-hmm. killed. I mean, everything mm-hmm. that was happening in Iran mm-hmm. right last year, you know, after the murder of um, Masa Amini, it was, mm. it, it hits you so, so hard that when you see others who identify with your group, right, Middle Eastern, also mm. you hurt. Mm-hmm. You, you know, so the impact of what's going on in our home countries, our countries of origin, have a significant emotional, mental, you know, impact on us here. Mm-hmm. Yet, because we often feel like brown lives don't matter as much. Yeah. Um, we're expected to function each day business as usual. and and performed the expectations and standards of our colleagues and our classmates. But there's really minimal acknowledgement of what we're going through mm-hmm. or how we may be, you know, emotionally impacted or drained or grieving or being re-traumatized. Um, so this is why I personally also feel very passionate about advocating for not just Iranian Americans, but for Arab Mina folks and Palestinian folks, because you feel the pain and no one should be going through this type of suffering. You know, no mm. one should be um, minimized, silenced and, you know, dismissed and expected to function or be at risk of losing their jobs for advocating, you know? Um, but these threats are very real and, and no one talks about them because it's, it's too scary. Right. And when you talk about it, you're worried about the pushback and you're worried about what may come, come of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, Few things here that just come to mind. One again, just go back to your census point and talk about brown lives not mattering if we're not even counting them. Um, um, but the yeah, I mean, you and I talked sort of you know, a couple of weeks ago about this, and and uh, you know, I was hesitant to talk about any of this too, you know, because because this is you know, I had to. I, this will be the first time I think I've talked about this stuff on the podcast. Um, I've talked about this with a couple of people in person, um, but even just talking about it to your your neighbor is seems to be hard these days. Um, wow. Let alone to a whole group of folks. Um, and it's, you know, there seems to just be this this uh, kind of on both sides this kind of weaponizing of of uh of of the terms you know anti-semitism and islamophobia and one one side throws one term out and the other side throws the other term out and and what essentially it does is it 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 stops everybody from talking about it all together because if you talk about if you if you try to support one group you're the other you're you're easter islamophobia or anti-semitic um if you try to support if you try to support both groups then then uh then you still are <laughs> because you should just be supporting my group um because you I, know you know because it, it's it's a it's a it's a who's first sort of thing who started it kind of 
discussion and you know and, and it just keeps going back to who started it who started it who started it but then you know for a lot of i think for a lot of us folks especially white folks like me um the who started it conversation is is so we're we're we're, we're so it's so far off in in you know for us because who started what is is more the question right because it's this thing sounds like something that's been going on for hundreds of years or, or thousands of years in some places um and so uh yeah, yeah it's the first time there's been a conversation where you've had to know you know the written history of a people and all their people is going back to you know I don't know, the beginnings of evolution or something you know whereas for you know whereas you know with black lives matter you know it was easy it, it was easy to say black lives matter uh not, not you know maybe not in, in certain 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 towns um but um, you know it, people get people got it people got that there was a problem people got that you know that the, these folks need to be supported and and uplifted and whatnot right. but right but for this conversation we're, we're not allowed to talk about anything because because you know there, there's just this fear of of being called one of these terms and because especially now when you know post sort of george floyd you know, yeah. um, it, it, people even more so don't want to be sort of thought of as racist and and whatnot, and you know, really want to be on the anti-racist side. But it sounds like you just can't be anti-racist in this conversation because someone's gonna gonna take you down. Yes. Right, and there's so much there too, Ben, that you're bringing up because I mean, as you're even talking about this, like this is not this is not an October seventh thing. Mm-hmm. Right. This this is this started way before. But when you're talking about who started it, who started it, and it, it seems to be that lo- most people, because the media think it started October 7th, but are starting yeah. to see, you know, it's really encouraging when I'm seeing people learn right beyond this, because I have in my you know few years being in this field and, and knowing um, just on Earth. Right. Like first time, though, that there is this much coverage on what's happening mm. in mm-hmm. uh, and what's been happening. I mean, before it was never, ever, ever in the media and the no. news. you couldn't find it. It wasn't publicized. And that's strongly the relationship that us has with Israel. And mm-hmm. so the education aspect of this, I mean, where would people have learned, right? Unless they knew somebody, this is another part of the invisibility, right? No one would have known. And so there's that. And then there's also the piece about um, APA, you know, having a statement, they put out a policy or like, um, what do they call resolution on some, I forget what it's called. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. One of those terms, sure, but sure. On anti-Semitism, yeah. you know, and, you know, APA against anti-Semitism and there's none of that. They don't have one for Islamophobia, mm-hmm. right? um, mm. you know, it, which is, you wonder, right? Like, why not then? Um, but I think that's what's scary is that because people don't have that knowledge and then they're afraid of being called anti-Semitic, um, that this continues to be a topic that people don't discuss. And I mm. appreciate you bringing that up because there is a lot of angst and a lot of avoidance because of the, I, I don't know enough. I don't feel like I know enough. I'm just not going to bring it up. Mm-hmm. But this is really a human rights issue. I mean, you see abroad internationally the protests going on, trying to asking for a ceasefire, mm-hmm. you know, demanding a ceasefire in Palestine. And 
there's this is a very, very, very serious and big issue. Very serious that you wonder how could there how can we still be right where we are right now? Like now that the world is really seeing and has access to seeing what's happening, mm-hmm. has access to this knowledge and, yeah. and history. There's te- there are teachings happening all every week mm. where people can tune in for free just to learn. Um, you know, and so, if, and then if anyone's ever looking for them, just ask these organizations, right? Like these resources, you follow them, they'll, they'll post about it. Um, but really, really hoping that more people can at least understand, learn what's happening, learn the facts, not just following the mainstream news, um, mm-hmm. and continue to advocate for, for Palestinians abroad, you know, in Palestine and, and, you know, internationally, the communities that are suffering right now and grieving because it's been two months and um, it's hard for anyone, any of us to be working right now. It's, it's really tough. And, and so what do you mean by that? What, why is it hard to work? Especially the field, the work that we do, you know, I'm personally, I'm a, you know, psychologist providing clinical services mm-hmm. and I, my specialty areas are in the area of trauma, relationships, grief, Mm-hmm. Uh, among some others like ADHD and um, I do couples and family. So mainly relationship work, but you know, you, you wake up to news that more people are dying. You're going through, you're doing work and trying to focus um, and, you know, both in reading your clinical services and also those who are working in academic spaces, teaching students mm-hmm. or doing, trying to make progress on their research it's just so hard to focus and so mm. hard to have the energy, you know, to feel motivated, um, feeling very conflicted. I think, you know, especially as psychologists, we have the capacity and the awareness to see where our mindset is and where our energy is and when our, mm. where our heart is. And so we know like this feels very out of body. It almost feels like you're in this different reality. Like mm. you have the part of you that's dying. And then this yeah. part of you that to act like everything's okay and holding both and how challenging that is. Um, But, you know, some spaces are much better than others in terms of supporting their, their um, providers or their students or their um, colleagues. And, Mm. but there's many that just don't, and they expect people to go on day by day Mm. and be professional, right? Professionalism is something that's, used a lot against students and I can speak to student issues a lot mainly because of my role that I played and even as a professional now I support the student um, community in Amina I mean I held some uh, listening sessions and for them just as a support space and I mean tears Mm. rolling down their faces trying to finish dissertation trying to apply for internships trying to you know get through um, and feeling so isolated and misunderstood because if they show up to class and they're not high energy, they're at risk of being, you know, called unprofessional or that they're Mm. not, you know, being, or, you know, what's it called? They're not like um, holding their own or they're not having enough self-care and being, you know, put at risk of being on remediation. And that's just, I mean, you know, you can imagine like how, mm-hmm. how difficult that is. And so it's, you, you really, 
Aminasai. Aminasai is one wonderful place, but it's still not enough because while we have this online community, we have to be in these spaces, these professional spaces and show up every day without our community with us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can only go to them afterwards. So it, it is um, it is something that we're all, you know, working on and getting through. Again, really grateful for the allies and the communities. There's many of them um, that are there that are offering safe spaces. And without them, I don't, you know, we would probably really crumble. So many, many allies and so, so grateful that they're willing to speak up. Um, or if anything, at least offer support to those who have have them in their spaces, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me about the, because you said you developed some guidelines to sort of help mm-hmm. them out. Tell me about those. Yeah. And so the Aminasai guidelines for working with MENA students right now, it was um, recognizing how much the students are suffering um, and struggling in their programs. and. We use our platform to advocate as much as we can in Aminasai. Mm. Um, some of the members of the advocacy committee and leadership and, and among others, whoever volunteered, put together some guidelines for those who are either in training spaces, so like practicum sites, within programs, um, you know, or, or any, any sort of training for any MENA student mm. um, on how to support them at this time what they may be going through, what to do, what not to do. And so it's like a several pages document on the advocacy page on aminasai.org outlining those. And so we've been trying to disseminate that to as many programs as we possibly can to um, colleagues to also disseminate with other colleagues in their departments in hopes that um, any Arab MENA student can feel a little bit more supported if, if, because it can't be also, you know, just not knowing, right. There's mm-hmm. so many people that don't know. And if, if anything, this can at least help some of those people like, Oh, I had no idea. Like rather than opposing it, being having, I have no idea. Now I know how to at least take some steps to support these students and maybe extend deadlines, maybe offer, you know, a chat, um, just acknowledging them saying that I see you, how can I support you? Or what are you struggling with? Um, being sure what not to say, right? What can be particularly triggering, and also giving them resources on what to on what they can learn and where they can learn it. Whoa. Yeah, this can be fun. Maybe we've gotten a lot of positive feedback regarding these guidelines. Um, you know, lots of thank yous, and and some students had actually even found out about Aminasai because a faculty member shared it with them in their program and they're like this is awesome like mm. and they have joined amina size since mm-hmm. well i'm just i'm just kind of scrolling through it i mean it's mm-hmm. super comprehensive it, it links to like some other like cool documents like there's this whole uh uh kind of what is it uh, resources for palestine yep. with a whole bunch of mm-hmm. different like books you can read and you know, Twitter account, accounts to follow on social media, statements from the sort of other places besides sort of psychology, which I think is good to know. It's not just you guys that are struggling. And um, right. so, so, yeah, it looks it looks awesome. The second secret word is isolated. Just a, a quick random question, actually, so not uh-huh. directly related, but 
Why why North Africa? What's the North Africa? I know it's all geography, so there's obviously probably people that live there, but what what's what the North Africa part throws me off. So this is actually I'm gonna it's a good question, but mm-hmm. I am gonna save that for probably a good it would be a good talk to have about like the census mm. and and what yeah, like what countries are counted and and why and gotcha. really, a lot of it's related to the Arab League you know, what mm. comprise the Arab League. Um, and so this is a whole history. The We Are Mina campaign, the webinar that we had um, Dr. Yeah, yeah. Speaking and Dr. Awad speaking at, talk about this. Okay. And so I'm going to save it to them, or, you know, to watch those. I'm going to encourage that because also right. if anyone can go to the page and just even see the other webinars we have as well, it can... <laughs> And maybe okay. it motivate people, motivate listeners to, hey, go check this out. Because it, it would be uh, good to hear it from them. And they did a wonderful job because they okay. talked about it. Okay. Links and show notes to answer that question. Okay. Uh, sounds good. Uh, and what about, sorry, you also mentioned you're in, in a leader in Division 45. What's Division 45? I don't know any of these divisions. There's so many of them. Yeah. This is a Society of um, Race, uh, Ethnicity, and Culture. Mm. And so really focused on issues related to ethnic minorities and racial minorities and psychology. And so who, so is there just what is, is there folks from then all the different groups sort of in that one? Is that how that mm-hmm. kind of works? Yeah. Yeah. And so, and they, and they rotate as well in terms of president mm. presidency mm. Um, on kind of like who, which group, um is up i guess for, for mm. presidency and they have a member at large for you know arab slate asian slate i mean they've they've really tried to add the, and because the arab slate is new i'm the only i'm the third mm. uh person to take that position um okay. as member at large slate because it was dr awad was the first dr shawahin mm. was the second and i am now the third yeah 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 uh, so fairly new position um, but yeah, they, they've done great stuff. And I think even more importantly, just their presidential themes and initiatives lately have been so um, important. And I, mm. Dr. Coakley's is, is really what's showing up now too. Um, Cause his was all about, you know, uh, solidarity among different ethnic and, and racial yeah, groups. Yeah. And what that looks like an allyship and true solidarity. And that's what we're really looking for. And, I've been experiencing within the division even now um, is having that solidarity, that allyship from other groups, you know, um, showing up and supporting and and that's how we can get far, right? That's how we lift each other and, and help each other out. So it's a wonderful division that I think if, if anything, people just can even join the announce listserv to, to hear about, upcoming events and programming and be in the know without joining the division formally to mm. see if it's something that they're interested in. But um, yeah, I, I find that it's, it's more comfortable being there than some other divisions because it is everyone there is focused on or passionate about psychology with uh, minority groups, mm. racial minority groups. Sorry, how do they get on that list serve? So, well, Maybe we can put that because I don't know the exact yeah, steps. In the show notes. You have to send an email to, yeah, and you can join Division. Oh, uh, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Then you just sign up there. 
Um, okay, let's uh, let's go back to Iran a bit because um, that was kind of sort of the original reason why I reached out to you just to learn more about mm-hmm. Iran in general. Um, yeah. Um, like for example, it's Iran, not yeah. Iran. It's not Iran. <laughs> I love that when people say Iran, I I try to tell them the easiest way to remember that is like, well, where did you ask them? Where did you run to? <laughs> I, I ran where? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, that usually helps them think, of, okay, yeah, Iran is the correct pronunciation. Yep. I, f- I feel like, and maybe I'm just projecting because I'm just talking about me, but I, I don't know anything about Iran. I, I do have, I, I, I've had a couple colleagues in the past and, and I've had a few clients that were Iranian, but um, I had one, had one fellow that I worked with for years and, and, you know, got to partake in a lot of traditions at home and um uh, I, I remember his uh his uh his grandmother would come and stay within his family for like six months from Iran she didn't speak a word of English and and uh but she would but yeah. but she was awesome she would just she would just she would just feed me non-stop and and yeah. um and it's funny we have uh this is a, a bit of a digression but um, there's a there's an ongoing joke and behavior analysis around our ethics code uh because uh, for the longest time you know it it was frowned upon to sort of even accept a drink of water from a a family um sort of thing you know like gifts and all that and and sort of equating it with gifts and multiple interests and all that sort of thing and and since then i think folks have started to realize that when you're working with folks from a lot of these different cultures you know you're you're not going to get very far if you don't eat their food um um and uh, you're going to you're going to destroy the relationship not uh, not make it you know duplicitous or worse but um there was just i, I just uh, I, I ate so well whenever i went on yeah. a visit with him um and yeah it uh, sounds about right <laughs> yeah it was wonderful um um but beyond that i i and i think this this is sort of the same thing I mean, I think this is a probably a MENA thing. It's not even an Iran thing um, um, because we're seeing it right now with all the stuff that's going on over, over there right now is there's just so much uh, misinformation about yeah. everything over there. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and it's all been, you know, connected to, like you said, you know, like the, these big events like 9-11 or the, you know, the, the, the a couple of the big wars, um, uh, you know, a couple of the, you know, you know, Saddam and Osama and, and all these cats that, um, you know, in and of themselves were probably not good people, but um, also not representative of all the other people, um, which tends to be the, tends to be the story. Uh, yeah. You know, I, 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 and, uh, and so what, what, what's, just tell me a little bit about Iran and, and, you know, and, 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 and sort of, you know, what you know about it, your experiences, um, um, you know, mm-hmm. some of the great stuff that's come out of Iran, like some, some, uh, some, some, some Iran good stuff. Oh, so many good stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. even just what you're describing and thank you for sharing the story just because, mm-hmm. you know, my experience, my, my lived experience of Iran is mm-hmm. obviously very different too, because mm-hmm. having not been born there. Right. Um, but also growing up here, it's so interesting when you grow up in in the U.S. in California. I'm born and raised Southern California, mm. and which, you know, interestingly, over fifty percent of the Iranians living in the U.S. are in California. So highly oh, wow. populated. 
with Iranians. Yeah. And we have, you know, ethnic enclaves in, in different areas too, you know, um, in different states. There's like there's a large population in Texas and, you know, in Houston, um, large population in DC. You know, there's just different areas where there are like bigger groups, but California is definitely the largest. Mm. Um, but even, you know, just growing up and we used to go every summer you know, for all three months, we didn't have like family road trip to the Grand Canyon. No, it's it your summer mm. was Iran to go see, visit family. Nice. Use my first language. Um, but it's, it's such a different experience when you go to a country, when you're born in a diverse space and everybody's Iranian, mm. like everybody. And it's like this, you're mind blown. Cause you're like, mm. I'm, here's my people. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't have to necessarily tell people who I, that I'm right. Iranian. Like you just are, you know, and the, and I just remember just the smell of like the bread, you know, mm. in the morning when you go to the store with my grandma to pick up bread for breakfast and, and seeing all the happy faces, people just talking to each other, you know, on the streets and families gathering and so centered around community going to on, you know, various hikes in beautiful areas going like far away to visit some other you know, towns and cities that I'd never mm. seen. Um, my mom was always very huge on giving and service to those who are um, less privileged or mm. have less resources. So every summer we spent time going to orphanages, spending time with the kids, um, donating and delivering food and clothes. I mean, just to me, Iran is so, it has such a soft and warm place in my heart. Mm. And it, it's the one place I didn't have to necessarily defend myself. And then growing up and 9-11 happening when I'm being, you know, in elementary school, mm. um, being that in my whole adolescent years, right? Like growing up with that Islamophobia and being so triggering, you almost mm. felt like you tied closer to your country of origin because you're an outcast. Yeah. In the US, and that's been the experience. And my dissertation was actually on second generation Iranian Americans, um, how they conceptualize well-being and how they define well-being and, and experience well-being and the things that impact their well-being. Mm. And a huge one was, was discrimination, um, prejudice, and uh, anti, anti-Iranian hate, um, which didn't start after 9-11. It started, you know, way, way, way before before that, but also, you know, the hostage crisis in 1979 that happened, that was the first, you know, sentiment of Iranian mm. hate um, in the U.S. And that was also the same time the revolution happened in which many, many Iranians immigrated to the U.S. Prior to that, though, like right before the hostage crisis happened, Iranian international students were the largest group of international students in the U.S. Wow. I know. I know. No one knows that. Like the largest group of international students from a country was from Iran here. And then the hostage crisis happened. The revolution happened and many stayed. Um, not all, but many had to stay. Many were forced to flee. But Iran's so diverse in itself as well, though. I mean, in the U.S., in California, we have religious diversity mm. and ethnic. I mean, you have Iranian Armenians. You know, you have Iranian Arabs, Iranian Turks. Like we have So, so much more diverse than people even. Yeah. I give actually trainings on working with Iranians and and therapy. Hmm. Uh, That's something I had picked up early when I actually first started my PhD program. I was like, 
remember because my whole research focus was on yeah. expanding the literature on Iranians in psychology, in the psychology literature. And so I thought that's one way I can do it is through publications and manuscript, but also through um, clinical trainings and, and speaking um, on who are Iranian Americans, mm. what are they comprised of in the diversity and how to work with them. And you described a major value that people don't often see, which is hospitality. Mm -hmm. uh, and to go from, I mean, I'm kind of going to different like points yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. Bring out two good things about Iran. What's there's so many good things, and that um, I think what happens is the Iranian Americans here feel also this pressure of showing that mm -hmm. and letting people know, like, hey, Iran is more than what you see on the news. I, I laugh and joke that uh, the U.S. or the media is obsessed with Iran, um, and they just yeah. like get enough of putting us on the news. It's never good though. Um, it's never good stuff. But every time something happens in Iran, it's like a headline here in the U.S. and mm -hmm. and then you're constantly defending against, you know, the Iranian what the Iranian government may be doing that is not representative of the Iranian people. But you know, I meet somebody. And if I tell them, they're like, oh, where are you from? And I say, I'm Iranian. And the minute they say, oh, I had an Iranian friend or I had an Iranian neighbor and they were so wonderful or they shared a story mm. just like what you shared. Mm. I take a deep breath because I'm like, oh, okay, good. Like you have a different image, a different perception mm -hmm. of who Iranians are truly. When I was in the Midwest, I was like the first many people were meeting for the first time. I was the first Iranian. So there's that, okay, how do I also then help teach you about we are more than what you see on the media, you know, and, and trying to um, describe the culture, describe our values, describe our community, share mm. the music, share the, the food, mm. um, share the challenges, right? And the trauma that Iranian immigrants have experienced, you know, to leave your country. And to have to leave so much behind and being so so separated and isolated, and then have to constantly defend yourself against um, the media, mm. you know, it's uh, it's it's like a job that we didn't ask for, but we willingly take. And that also came up in my my research. Mm. Um, is this this pride in the identity and wanting others to know that it's more than what they see mm. on the news? Yeah, are there, I mean, I, I don't want you to do the whole webinar, but are there sort of some sort of general, you know, things to consider when you're working with an Iranian family? Mm -hmm. If you're working with, especially in psychology, right? Mm. Like it depends on if you're working, you know, considering generational status, mm. right? Mm. If you're working with a first generation immigrant or a second gen or third gen um, is huge, right? Knowing kind of, their intersecting identities, like how do they identify mm. um, in terms of being Iranian? Are they bicultural, um, religion, spirituality, mm. um, reasons for immigrating to the U.S. Mm. as well? It's, it's something that can be really helpful for clinicians to be aware of, mm. especially if you're working with people who are maybe struggling in relationships or yeah. um, have family issues or identity-related stuff. Mm. Um, I think another big thing, especially working with Iranian immigrant, and this is probably a spread also Middle Eastern in general, is, you know, in psychology, you learn that self-disclosure is like bad. Like you shouldn't be disclosing much information about yourself and mm. 
counseling relationship. This right. is a client. Yes. Um, but we have to recognize that there's a lot of mistrust mm-hmm. <laughs> within the mental health field, mm-hmm. um, especially when you're working with the uh, immigrant population. And then that's kind of passed down to their, their kin. And they don't know who you are. And why mm-hmm. should they trust you? And mm-hmm. um, I think, again, this is a very Western idea of like, don't talk about yourself, you know, and, and hide it. Um, mm-hmm. Psychology therapy is so relational. It's so intimate, mm-hmm. right? And they want to know you in their community, people, we value relationships. Mm-hmm. And so one thing I always tell the clinicians that I'm training is don't be afraid to share more about yourself. Mm-hmm. They want to know who you are. They want to Mm. know if they can connect with you. They want to know if you'll actually understand them. And so I just had a session with um, an older woman who was Iranian who immigrated. Even if she immigrated 30 years ago, even so, after I did my whole spiel on confidentiality and all that, I said, do you have any other questions? She goes, yeah, I want to know more about you. Mm. And I said, absolutely. Right. Like these are things that I think when you're training, because people don't focus on these cultural pieces, like yep. when you're doing work and training, you you hear that question, you're told you should be asking, well, what would that mean to you if you knew, mm. you know, and it's like. Mm-hmm. Well, it's that would then actually create more of a rupture in that mm-hmm. relationship. So mm-hmm. that's just a couple pieces I can share. Um, yeah. some- about how to, how to work with Iranian folks in the U.S. and um, just recognizing that, especially the second gen population has has that, uh, and this is for maybe most second gen people yeah. holding your home culture and then the culture that you're raised in, um, you know, the society that you're raised in and that culture and how to blend the two and how to how to navigate the two, mm. um, and asking about that. That's also mm. something that would be important to consider. Cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that uh, March 20th or 21st is the yeah. Iranian year. Okay. And the holiday. And my favorite holiday, because my name Bahar means spring. And so mm. the new Iranian New Year is on the first day of spring. So it's on the first day of Bahar. And mm. so it's my favorite holiday of all time. But that's also something that's super huge in, in a lot of celebration and um, community and gatherings happen around that time and all over the world um, aid. So. And it, sorry, and, is it, and it's called what? Aid and No Ruse. So the New Year. Mm-hmm. Mm, nice. I've never yeah. heard that. It's my favorite holiday. It's it's like my Christmas. Yeah. Since I celebrate Christmas, um, it's yeah. What I look and forward. Is to. it like a day thing, or is it like a a period? Or it's a New Year. Well, it's yeah. a New Year. So you have the New Year. You go. You have a yeah. half. So it's like a table spread of yeah. you know different items that mean different things, and yeah. you gather and you count the New Year. And then you have two weeks. Um, of visiting often family members, bringing in the new year. And then after the two weeks on the 13th day, um, you gather at the parks and have kind of like a big celebration. Awesome. So that's the simple, simple breakdown of Noru's. Mm-hmm. I know you're the big focus on kind of what we want to talk about today was just around supporting mm-hmm. the, these professionals that are struggling right now and have been what, what, what are some things that sort of folks that aren't in Amina Sai can do to sort to support, you know, these folks, um, you know, that aren't right there, but, you know. Yeah, and you don't have to be part of Amina Sai at all, yeah. right? 
Um, I mean, if in the psychology field or not, there are, I think, a, and again, I, I'm going to speak for myself in terms sure. of what I love for people to do more of is yeah. learn to learn from resources that are not your mainstream media. And so for those who aren't part of Aminasai can still visit the Aminasai website mm. and, and see the lists of resources and videos and we, you know, those books and audio, um, even like audio interviews too. Mm. So for every person, if you don't like to read, you can listen. Um, if you don't want long things, you have short things. Mm. <laughs> Excuse me. So it'd be great to just learn because if you can learn more then you'd have more language to be mm. able to understand. And when you learn, you're also more aware um, and you can see things more clearly. If you have friends, neighbors, colleagues, whoever, family who um, married in that may be um, and who aren't Palestinian or Middle Eastern or Muslim or, and you know, can be impacted, just check in on them. Mm. Um, I think a lot of even the guidelines and working with MENA folks, uh, MENA students has some helpful verbiage of even people who aren't working with students, but just how to, how to support people. Mm. Um, and that's where I would just say to start because without that, the other stuff will be really hard to do to support, mm. right? Like showing up to, um, you can donate, right? If you're somebody who has money and wants to donate, donate to some of those funds that are on the list. Mm. Um, you know, those charity organizations who are providing, um, support for, for people. And, um, but really just learn more and become more aware and, and support those around you. Mm. That would be ideal. Cool. Right now. And oh, kind of, oh yeah. Another thing actually yeah. with that, there's um there are lots of ways in terms of calling your reps and sending mm. emails to reps and demanding ceasefire. Mm. Um and those can be found through some of those like advocacy um advocacy groups. They they often post about those and where you can find those. Perfect. Uh, just slightly related, um, and kind of as you, as you know, I'm 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 a behavior analyst, and we're. I'll have to talk to somebody else, maybe in from Division Twenty Five one day, because I've I've always been, and I don't, I'm not looking for you to answer this part of the question, but I've always been a bit confused about sort of where we fit in psychology, um, you know, because I know there was uh, at one point I think it was psychologists, and then we kind of pulled out and did our own thing, but we still have this division 25. So we're still sort of connected to APA somehow. Um, mm -hmm. One thing that behavior analysis doesn't have is, is uh, we don't have much in, the, in, in, in terms of affinity groups for, you know, minority, mm -hmm. minority folks. We do have BABA now, the black applied behavior, black association for behavior analysis. They actually formed in 2017 too. Um, mm -hmm. um, and I think, and there, there is, there is a, a. The third secret word is safe. Uh, Laba, the Latin Latina Association, um, uh, and uh, and and some other kind of 
but there's nothing, there's not much, there's not much around. And so I remember when I was on, when I had Mark standing Eagle Bays on, I was asking him, you know, um, you know, or I don't know if I was asking him or maybe just suggesting, um, you know, it might be cool for the, the very few indigenous behavior analysts, if they could join up, you know, and find some more colleagues um, just to kind of hang out with. Uh, and so I wondered uh, if, if Mina would be open to uh, Mina behavior analysts joining. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, if anybody is, I, I would say, yes, we, we welcome anyone, everyone, yeah. Yeah. you know, we have membership um, options for those who are in, not even in the psychology field, like oh, wow. okay. friends of Amina Sai. Yeah. And, you know, you, you join and it's because you have either a passion for or interest in what we do and and you mm-hmm. learn Mina size like whole about me um talks about like the mission the vision the value mm. um you know really just being about a thriving american arab mina psychology mm. right but anyone who works within the field mental health or behavioral health definitely would fit and would be part you know we welcome to join mm. i mean we have people who are joining amina side who don't even identify who do not identify as arab or mina right you know, and like I said, friend of Amina Sai, or they're still professionals and they join because they're passionate about, you know, Arab Mina psychology advocacy mm-hmm. or advocacy in general yep. or work. We have people who, you know, are are white and, I, and they work with a large Mina population within, depending on where they are geographically. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. Work, mm-hmm. right. So mm, right. Um, I say there. absolutely there's a space. And if there are members who are behavioral analysts, I would say, 100% send an email on our listserv and introduce yourself and see yeah. who else is joining, yeah. you know, or spread the word about Amina side to others that, you know, and, and have that space too, because I think it's all about coming together and putting multiple professions and heads and specialties together, yeah. work together. The greatest thing about Amina side that I've seen in the last few years is the collaboration because of the student group growing because, and they're phenomenal. I cannot speak to hmm. how amazing our students are. Awesome. They are collaborating and they're doing research projects across states. I mean, I'm I'm on um, finishing up a manuscript right now with another peer. We met actually. We found Amina Sai together, and we did a study on working with um, the experience of Mina psychology graduate students. We did a qualitative study on understanding their experience and their programs cool. as Mina folk and. Um, you know, we're, we're in different states. I was in Kansas, she was in Tennessee, you know, so there's a lot of that going on. And so I a hundred percent encourage people to join just because nice. of the collaboration that's been coming out of it. Right so we don't have to be so alone. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Cool. Wow. I'll, 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 I'll encourage them all to join. Please. Yeah. 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 Right on. Cool. Oh, Barra, this was awesome. I know. I really enjoyed this. This was really fun talking about things that I really love and yeah. you know painful things and also just live reality um yeah. but I, anyone who hears and listens in and can learn a little bit more i mean that that just for me is enough yeah. um if i can just educate and talk about it and lift the voices of the people i care about and the communities that um are out there mm-hmm. not being acknowledged or understood or they are misunderstood think if anything could be my life purpose so yeah well you're doing awesome work thank you if folks wanted to find you what would be the best way mm. if they wanted to find me um 
reaching out to uh, Amina Sai is probably the easiest just yep. because I think that'll be the most consistent. Yeah. Um, I can also provide, um, you know, the contact us page and through that they'll link people with me. Yep. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn. Yeah. LinkedIn's easy. So find me on there. That'll probably always stay consistent. If anything will be updated, if any of my contact information changes. So yeah, LinkedIn and Amina Sai would probably be the best two ways to find me. Sweet. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Ben. Thank you.